The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. want to read a passage. This is from an Argus Press article written by Josh Champlain, who in my opinion is the best journalist in Michigan. I'm going to just start with this. When can I start? The woman's text asks. December 7th, Root replied. That's with pants on as normal, though. Without pants, you can start now. What the f***? This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Whoa. Okay. I'm Bill Amadeo. I'm... I'm Madison Amadeo and Grable and Associates, and today we're going to talk about this amazing article Josh Champlain wrote about Jeremy Root and the Board of Commissioners. Wow. So, mm, where do we start? As many of you know, I have... I love Shiawassee. In some ways, I consider it my first home. Judge Matthew Stewart, an amazing judge. Scott Corner, amazing prosecutor. Josh Champlain, amazing journalist. With all that admiration I have for people tonight, we're going to talk about something I don't have admiration for, and that is some of the drama that is the Board of Commissioners. And I got to tell you guys, what are we doing? Let's kick it back for a minute. November 18th, 2020. That is when McManus and Amadeo applied to be corporate counsel in Shiawassee. And we did it. We did a proposal for 50 grand a year with 10 grand going back to the mental health court. Now, what we were told was this was a money grab. <laughs> Let's set the record straight. Number one, I think I tipped more than 50 grand a year. We were, we were going to do was the following. We were going to put a young lawyer in Shiawassee. We were going to buy office space. We were going to give ten grand back to the mental health court. We were going to let that young lawyer keep all the money and then get on some court appointed list. We were trying to groom someone for the future. As we made this proposal, Commissioner Cindy Garber sent this email to me. Mr. Amadeo, A-M-E-D-E-O. A-M-A, Cindy. That's okay. Nothing in your correspondence sounds appealing. In our community, we have seen misrepresentations by the media, false accusations by one of our commissioners, and a false narrative by a failed countywide candidate. As the election results have shown, these negative, unfounded attacks have not fooled the people of Shiawassee County. In my opinion, your offer is another attempt at undermining this board and to create a media spectacle. It is my intention to engage legal counsel of the highest integrity and loyalty to the Board of Commissioners and the residents we proudly serve. Cindy Garber, Shiawassee County Commissioner, District 6. Cindy, baby, let's talk about integrity tonight, shall we? Our firm offered to do the job on a part-time basis for 50 grand a year with 10 grand going back to the mental health court. You hired Ryan Painter undercover for 104 grand a year. 
we offered to get office space. Ryan Painter had no experience. Ryan Painter eventually quit because he couldn't take the stress of the job. And from that point, what you have done to this great community has been a f***ing joke. Other than Marlene Webster, it is disgraceful what this Board of Commissioners has done. I'll give you a few examples. Jeremy Root gave Mike McCartney the finger at a meeting. And Jeremy, you're lucky Mike didn't kick your goddamn ass. But you gave him the finger in public with children and women present. The COVID money fiasco. Come on, dude. You're making like 10 grand a year. You gave yourself a $25,000 a year raise to buy a Lego land with Cindy Garber. And now it appears you offered jobs to people for sexual advances. So guys, there's a lot of reasons Jeremy Root and I don't like each other. There's a lot of reasons the board and I don't like each other. Marley Webster, I admire and respect. I remember how I was treated when I applied for this job. I had all sorts of shit said about me. You know, and Scott Grable usually does give Bill Amadeo the thing on a daily basis. Right back at you, Scotty. Let's break a few things down. You have put Shiawassee in the national spotlight. And you did so by doing a lot of AS9 things. The article by Josh Champlain really breaks things down. Here's the lead to the article if you didn't read it. A Shiawassee County Commissioner apparently sent sexually inappropriate text messages to a Pleasant View employee in 2020 offering her a job with the county, according to a FOIA obtained by the Argus Press. So let me ask you this, Jeremy Root. If the allegations in this article are true, what job did you offer this woman for sexual favors? I mean, was that your move? And you did it on a county text message? And the best part of this all, guys, was Cindy Garber handed these text messages over to Pleasant View, apparently. Okay, so let me help you out, first of all. Jeremy, I know you and I don't hang out, right? And I know you think you're a bit of a player and all that. If you're going to send sexually explicit text messages to people for bull jobs, I think the first thing you need to do is make sure you delete the thread. That makes sense, right? The live audience agrees. I'm really confused, dude. You've talked so much What was Jeremy Root thinking? He offered her a job so you could allegedly slap her ass and if she would get naked, you would. If the woman got naked, she could start today. But if she was fully clothed, she could start December 7th. Is there a job at the county that doesn't require clothing? Um, oh. Guys, if you want to learn about class, please go check out the circuit court. Maybe they'll give you a tutorial. I don't know. I'm just stunned. So, Jeremy, I mean, here's the question I got. Did you do it? Because everybody's entitled to due process. I gotta tell you, man, this is felonies. I mean, this is like worse than, you know, I know UIL doesn't get reported. I mean, this is bad, man. Because drinking and driving is just a misdemeanor.
This is like felony shit, bro. I know a really good criminal lawyer that might not even take a case. So, I just, I don't get this. Like, dude, what the f*** were you thinking? If you and I were friends right now, I'd be texting you saying, look, man, here's what you have to do to make amends. But we're not friends. And it seems every move you make, you know, every move you make, it just seems crazier. Amber Newton, Amber Smith Newton, good friend of mine, prosecutors will be banging his head against the wall when this crap shows up on this desk. Amber, come on, man. What are we thinking here? What is the poor prosecutor thinking when one of the board of commissioners, there's evidence that he's offering sex for county positions? my god dude listen i'm not the most moral guy in the world i don't throw stones i'm not hating you man i'm just telling you you owe the people shiawassee accountability we can't keep this moving i mean it was bad enough when you were banging your gavel down and screaming at marley webster shiawassee peeps what are you thinking right now how much more bullshit are you guys going to have to deal with? If it wasn't for the integrity of the circuit court, this place would have zero credibility in the eyes of the media. Thank God! The circuit courts run as good as it is. If the world only looked at the board of directors and the bullshit you guys have done, COVID raises, which were 250% of your fucking salary, Sexual favors for jobs. And what were the jobs? Can you imagine this poor woman if she actually needed a job and would have to do sexual favors for Jeremy Root? I mean, dude, that's worse than a capital offense. I mean, that's horrible. What are we doing here, guys? Nikki Lindsay, Shai Wasi is blessed to have Judge Stewart. Yeah, we are lucky to have Judge Stewart. And I say we. Because I really do consider myself one of you guys. But I say this to the Board of Commissioners, because even though I think you guys are the Marley Webster, are a group of assholes, I want to say this. We have to work as a team right now, guys. Seriously. This is a f***ing joke. We have board members offering jobs for sexual favors. We have girlfriends of board members sharing these messages with other people. We have an investigative journalist who found it all, because that's what Josh does. He finds shit. By the way, Josh Champlain, amazing journalist. Josh, I'm saying this publicly. If I ever get on your bad side, please give me a chance to make it up to you. All right? I do not want to piss off Josh. Amazing journalist. But I'll tell you, he will find shit. He just found shit. What is there even to say? I'll say this, Jeremy, bro, I've, I've offered this before. If you ever want to publicly debate me, you name the time, you name the place, I'll put this out here right now. If you want to publicly debate me, I will pay $1,500. I'll write a check to the mental health court right now for one hour of your time, and we could address all this man to man. We could do it on Facebook, we could do it in Shiawassee, whatever you want to do. My agenda has always been to help Shiawassee. Your agenda apparently is to get laid while being stuck in your mom's basement. 
that's where I'm at with things. And I know the live audience just rolled their head because the live audience says, Bill, don't go out on this guy too hard. Come on, live audience. He fing asked for this. He gave Mike the finger. He took COVID money. He's talking about people. He's disrespected our prosecutor. He's disrespected our courts. This is bullshit. Good God, bro. What are we doing? I know a lot of people have talked about me on that board. I'm a Jersey guy with the accent. Okay, let me tell you something we learned in Jersey. You gotta delete the thread, Jeremy. Delete the fucking thread. You don't send sexually explicit job offers to people, have your girl find them, and then make it public knowledge. This is not the way to handle I would never say, hey, me for a job, but Jesus Christ, you leave evidence after you did it? Why don't you just leave DNA at a crime scene and go make a confession? I mean, part of me is pissed off about the abuse of power. Another part of me is just pissed off how fucking stupid this is. I don't know what else to say right now. I am, um, as I honestly, Jeremy, when I read this article, I didn't laugh so much since I seen my ex-girlfriend's husband in the gym on Facebook. Sorry. Josh Champlain, you're badass, bro. Great article. The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. Guys, I'm really sorry, but Josh Strickland did tell me I'm supposed to talk about some criminal. All right. Investigative subpoena is what we call bullshit. An investigative subpoena is when somebody is ordered to come in to talk to the prosecutor. This is not the way things are supposed to be done. Mike McCotney texted me yesterday said, what's the difference between an IS investigative subpoena and the prosecutor or police just asking somebody to come in? When you're asking somebody to come in, it's of their own accord. We're not even close to the warrant process yet. The police or the prosecutors in the information gathering thing. And IS, which is highly questionable whether it's constitutional or not, that is when the prosecutor gets a judge to sign off to order a defendant to come in. And if the defendant's lawyer does not know what they're doing, it could be a real problem. Um, this is not done in counties like Shiawassee. They usually do things right in their prosecutions. There's been other counties I won't mention where I will tell you the investigative subpoena is a good way to get an innocent kid to get caught up in a bull involuntary confession. My advice to anybody out there who gets ordered to go to an investigative subpoena, number one, lawyer up. Number two, say these following words. I plead the Fifth Amendment. By pleading the Fifth, you cannot incriminate yourself. Is your name Joe Smith? I plead the Fifth Amendment. Any prosecutor who tries to utilize the investigative subpoena is because their case is weak and they're trying to gauge a confession out of somebody. Case closed. So, the investigative subpoena is an order. Asking somebody to talk is a voluntary thing. And while the law was really fresh on investigative subpoenas, 
um, where we're really at with things, guys, is that any confession must be KIV, knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily given. Um, it really questions whether it was a voluntary confession when it happens, but the prosecution is trying desperately to gauge a confession. That's what they're doing. And a lot of times we see people with competency issues get lured into investigative subpoenas. That is the biggest problem we see with the IS. Okay. I'm going to read something. Somebody emailed to me during a difficult time. Bill, you are an absolute rock star and an asset to the criminal law community. Keep your head up, kid. Everything's going to be okay. We're watching you. We admire you. That was the words of an email I got from Alan Pizer, who was a fantastic criminal defense lawyer, and I didn't know Alan that well. Um, he just reached out to me when I was having a tough day, and he could see from a Facebook status. We knew each other in Darrow, which is a criminal chat group, and we knew each other on Facebook. I never met the man, and he passed away this week. 66 years old, way too young to die. And I responded to him a few things I won't mention on the air, but it was words of admiration, and we talked about specific cases, and he was a role model for criminal defense. He led his life a good way. Um, I am really sorry I couldn't make the funeral. I was in court, and Alan being Jewish, they have Shiva, where you have to have a funeral within 24 hours, I believe. <clears throat> I would like to reach out to the family. Though I never met Alan personally, his words on a tough day meant a lot to me. And you'll be missed. I know my good friend Ashley Duplessis, who's a great lawyer, was very close with Alan. And he adored her like a daughter. I know she's going through a lot right now. Alan, if you're watching this up there, we miss you. You were a fantastic person. And um, you made practicing criminal better. And you had a way of reaching out to people when things were rough and even though I didn't know you personally I feel like our electronic communication spoke volumes this was a guy who reached out to people he didn't have to so rest in peace Alan the jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311 this is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I heard today about the decision of Judge Morrow getting suspended in Detroit. All I could say this about Bruce Morrow, and I know people not like what I have to say here, Bruce Morrow, to me, is a great jurist. He's always listened to my arguments carefully. He knew me when I was a nobody, He certainly knew me when I was allegedly a somebody, and that's all subjective. But one of my favorite memories of Judge Morrow is he came in one day, and we all stand up, right? The judge walks in the room. And he said, where are you from, son? And I said, "Um, I'm living in Ann Arbor. He goes, do you stand in Ann Arbor? And I'm like, well, we stand when a judge comes in. And he started laughing. It was such a calming feeling, like he's one of us. He may have the black robe on, but he's one of us. And he showed me all his prison art. We went back to his office. He took time with me as a young lawyer. He didn't have to. 
great result in that case. And I think the nerves of being in Frank Murphy at that point in my career were really calmed by him. And uh, when I won my first big capital case there, um, went to see him, gave him a quick high five. I'm a fan of Bruce Morrow. I can't wait to see him back on the bench. I think our Supreme Court got it wrong. I don't think he should have been suspended for six months, what I'm told. And Judge, if you're watching this, thank you for all you've done for this legal community. And I can't wait to see it back on the bench. What's up, Tyrone? What's up, Brian Lundy? What's up, Anna Barella? What's up, everybody? This is Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And tonight, we got some topics. We're going to talk about defense lawyers and prosecutors. And what we're going to talk about... Hold on one sec, I have an important text coming in. And this client will lose their mind if I don't respond. So, we will. The live audience understands that, right? Alright. Topics tonight. Why defense lawyers and prosecutors should practice on the other side. What we're going to talk about, guys, is stepping in the shoes of the other party. Trying to understand each other. Because we really want to improve this profession. We've got to step into the shoes of the other side. <clears throat> I think too many times in this world, you know, prosecutors always want to be a prosecutor. That's what they know. That's what they live, breathe, and eat. Defense lawyers, same thing. Tonight, I'm going to try to explain the difficulties each side has to try to have an understanding of things. Hey, Emily Thomas, what's going on? Then we'll talk about the pay discrepancy between public defenders and prosecutors. What I think we need to do for public defenders and how we should do that. And then we'll talk about St. James a little bit, which a lot of people want to talk about. I want to tell some interesting St. James stories because I'm a little burned out and I think some people tune in to hear the personal stuff more than the professional. We're going to start with the professional stuff tonight. For you guys that saw me um, working out tonight, Adam's son, amazing trainer who kicked my living ass. And I had a couple people text me that I did not get the 10th burpee in. They told me I got nine. Thank you for counting and pointing out my shortcomings. I appreciate that. Hey, Ken, what's going on in Shiawassee tonight? So let's talk about defense lawyers and prosecutors. Let's talk about what's supposed to happen, guys. Okay. A prosecutor's job is to protect the community, to uphold justice. A defense lawyer's job is to protect their client. Now, here's what people lose sight of. The defendant is also part of the community. Therefore, we hope to be working together. Doesn't always work out that way. I see prosecutors who literally don't care about justice. I see defense lawyers that don't care about victim shaming when there actually is victims. Let's talk about the other side of things, okay? I think every criminal defense lawyer should have to testify at least once in their career. I've testified a few times. I've been on the stand for three and a half hours, being hammered by someone and firing back. And when you sit as a witness, you really learn how the other side lives. It's one thing to be asking the questions. It's another thing to actually be the target of those questions. There needs to be some understanding of that. I think sometimes defense lawyers should waive prelims for a couple reasons. Number one, 
can be the workload of the prosecutor. You're showing respect for that. Two, it could set you up for a favorable play. Three, I don't know about you, but I have some cases that are pretty heated. Uh, people know my history. I do not like cross-examining children. When there's a nine-year-old girl who is allegedly a victim, there's two things to keep in mind, guys. We're just about prelims for right now, okay? Number one, was that child really a victim? And if he or she was, haven't they been thrown off already? And then two, maybe that a child has mental health issues. And if that's the case, do they really need to get cross-examined? Now, if things go to trial, all bets are off. But sometimes you don't need to cross-examine someone twice. The need to build additional discovery should not overcome the integrity of the court. Now, it's a lot different between somebody who's 9 and somebody who's 19 who may have an ulterior motive. Whole different ballgame there. Crim law, in my opinion, is not a one-size-fits-all situation. You have to look at every situation in an isolated capsule. There's times you need to run a prelim and bust your ass on it. There's times you don't need to run it. There's times the prosecutor want to run it. Understand this from a defense point of view. Put yourself in the mind of the prosecution for one minute, and then we're going to flip back to that. With the prosecutor, they have a complaining witness who may truly be a victim they're trying to protect. They have that victim's family they're trying to answer to. They have the community and their image to go through. We have to put that all in the equation. We've got to fight like hell for our clients. But let's remember the pressure of the prosecutor. Now, prosecutors, we, defense lawyers, we have a defendant who's facing the loss of their freedom. We have a defendant's family. There may be mental health issues. There may be an innocent person. So when you do things like disregard a past polygraph, we get pissed the f*** off. We have to try to put ourselves in the shoes of others. We got to see the pressure of the prosecutor, and the prosecutor's got to see the pressures of us. I know there's a lot of media cases I'm involved in, and guys, once the press gets involved, it gets spun out of control. You know, you're not going to prosecute my kid in the press and not expect an adverse reaction. Let's understand that. Before we go media, we should try to talk to each other. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you go media on one of my kids, you just declared war. And once you declare war, okay, Atlantic City's coming out of me, all right? Not Ann Arbor and the money, it's going to be that kid on Willow Avenue, and you really don't want that kid on from fucking Willow Avenue coming at you. In the same breath, I am smart to understand what's going on with you. We got to really try to understand this. And how do we understand that? Well, we got to communicate with each other. Defense lawyers and prosecutors should be talking before they ever hit the Zoom call or hit court. If we don't communicate, we cannot advocate properly for each side. It's real simple, guys. I want a certain deal or I want a dismissal. You want a certain deal or you want a dismissal. And if we can't meet that, then f*** it, we go to trial, right? Makes sense. But if we don't talk and we're just playing poker all day with each other... The only people that are going to get hurt are the defendants and the alleged victims. So we have to try to understand the pressure of the other side. If we don't take that part into the equation, we're not doing anybody a service. You know, We really have to try to understand that. 
Another thing you should do as a defense lawyer, in my opinion, is go talk to the victim advocates. Now, we're all creatures of learned behavior, okay? The prosecutor wants a conviction. The victim advocate wants their victim's voice heard. The defense lawyer wants to protect their client. Probation wants to do their PSIs, sometimes fair, sometimes not. But we're all part of this amazing system. There is opportunity to work together. And you know what? If we gotta go to war, fuck it, let's go to war. But the way the process is supposed to work is communication. And you know, I've been guilty of this many times. I take shit real personal. I had a case recently where I found out my client, in my opinion at least, was the victim of racial discrimination. And I went into that court, and it was a ball of fire, and it was live court. And you could just see the fumes coming off me. And the prosecutor said, why didn't you call me or email me before we got to this point? And my feeling was, you're the reason my client was in jail wrongfully for five months before I took over this case. And I won that bond motion. That individual's out right now. And it wasn't Washington, it wasn't Wayne, it wasn't Shiawassee. So I know there's people from all those communities watching. It wasn't one of those three. But it was not justice. And what was really frustrating to me was one of the reasons the defendant was inside so long was because the preliminary transcript had not been completed yet. Now, in this county, they were skeleton crew. They were a skeleton crew because of COVID. Okay. And the defense lawyer before me said, well, I need the prelim transcript to make a good motion. So here's what pisses me the f*** off. Did you not have enough common sense to make an oral motion to the judge and say, Your Honor, we did not get the prelim transcript yet. However, I want to give you some highlights from the prelim. And my client should not sit the f*** in jail because I'm waiting for a transcript to come in. That's not great law school theory. That's not brilliant legally. That's fucking common sense. And the one thing about this profession that drives me nuts, I don't see enough common sense sometimes. Okay? That's not brilliance, guys. That's sticking on your feet. You got a man inside who's got children to feed with probationary guidelines on this case, sitting in jail for five months, because you don't think of a clever thing to say in a bond motion? What the f*** is that? I have zero tolerance for bad lawyering. And you know, many people have told me I put the offense in defense. You know what that means. My foot is going to be to the floor. Every f***ing case I get is personal. However, I'm telling you this right now. You can be that zealous advocate that takes no while still understanding the pressures of the other side. So if we discuss the pressures and the desires we both have on each case, we can work together a lot more. I am all about communication, man. But if you fuck over my client, I am going to make your life a living fucking hell. It's really that simple. I don't want to go there. But I'm certainly talented enough and have enough fight in me to go there. And I know a couple of those prosecutors certainly have that ability as well. So all we have to do is answer each other's emails and pick up the calls, which is what we're supposed to do by the court rules anyway. And listen, if you don't reply to me, 
because I'm going to make an effort. If you don't reply to me, I'm not running to the ethics board. I'm not some little pussy. Oh, you didn't answer my emails. I'm just going to shove motions up your ass. But we can work together. Understand the other side. Everybody's got a job to do, right? We have to respect the fact that we have jobs to do. But we cannot accept disrespect in the process. So what I'm saying tonight is, don't hate on prosecutors. Do not hate on prosecutors, understand the pressures they have. Don't hate on defense lawyers, because defense lawyers are fighting for their people. But we can work as a team on certain issues, at least for scheduling. Let's do that, guys. Come on. Second topic tonight is going to be about public defenders versus prosecutors and the pay discrepancy. Now, understand something. If you are a public defender or a prosecutor, you're not going to be a millionaire. You chose a career of public service, and that's admirable. What I don't understand, though, why are prosecutors paid more than public defenders? There's a lot of good public defenders that cannot stay at public defenders' offices because they're not making enough money. And I think as a retained lawyer, we're really spoiled. We get our $100,000 cases. We get our $25,000 cases. We get this, we get that. And the public defender gets a pile of paperwork that's overwhelming at times. Joe Biden said during his election, um, one of the many lies I suppose he told, was that he wanted to see public defenders get paid more. What have you done about that, Joe? It's one thing to say something. Hard to believe a politician would lie about anything. <laughs> but um, why are public defenders not paid enough? I look at people like Delphia Simpson and Doug Corwin that are running great offices, but their staff deserves more money. You know, I just don't think there should be a pay discrepancy. I don't think it's more noble to be a prosecutor than a defense lawyer. In both instances, guys, aren't we supposed to uphold justice? Why should there be that pay discrepancy? I just don't see it. Here's what I would propose, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. There's a lot of good public defenders out there. A lot of young kids that just can't keep the job up. They got their wife or husband, they got their mortgages, they got their financial aid payments. I think every retained person, because we're making a shitload of money as retainers, let's just be real. Hey, we're making money hand over fist. And in this profession, there's never going to be a lack of work. Every retained lawyer should give a small piece of their salary into a fund. And that fund should go to these public defender offices. Because if we're really defense lawyers, we're supposed to be a team, let's work as a team. It won't kill us to give 2% of our salary into this fund to really help provide young people the opportunity. There's so many passionate public defenders that want to stay at the PD's office, but they can't, you know? And, you know, it goes for prosecutors, too. The Wayne County Prosecutor's Office, that's a tough job. The Wayne County Prosecutor's Office used to be a career. It's become a resume builder. You know, we're seeing so many prosecutors that are there for a year and are applying for jobs with me or Grable. Um, it's just, it's fascinating that if you take the life of public service, you can't actually enjoy the fruits of your labor. I really think, as a general rule, public defenders need more money. I think prosecutors like in Wayne County deserve benefits right away. 
And I know it's easy for me to say as a retained lawyer who's making a lot of money, but I will tell you, we should be looking out for other lawyers. We really should. We went through hell to get here, right? It wasn't easy going through three years of law school and the LSAT and the bar exams and the multiple bar exams if we took different jurisdictions. We bled to get here. But there's such a difference between the haves and the have-nots. It's not fair economically. I'm fortunate enough to be in the haves. Um, Scott Grable took me under his wing in 2017. And when Scott took me under his wing, he didn't just teach me how to win cases. He taught me the business aspect of things. He taught me the importance of being a business person as well as being an attorney. I learned more from Scott Grable than I could have ever learned in a law school course. The one thing I see is that there's so many really good lawyers that are not good business people. It goes hand in hand. And one of the reasons that people end up being public defenders is because they don't have to worry about the business aspect. However, they still have bills and concerns to worry about. Public defender is one of the toughest jobs you could have. You know, and the PD's offices, like Washington and Shiawassee, they do a hell of a job. They do a hell of a job with a lack of funding. And they deserve more money. And I personally feel anybody in my situation should be willing to give something back to those situations. Doug Corwin's a great lawyer. Learned a lot from Dougie. Um, we have slightly different styles. That's an understatement, but I think Doug and Delphi are two people I've learned a lot from. It's a lot of intellect there, and I think their staff deserves more fruits of their labor. One thing, and I'll throw a Scott Corner compliment out here, and a Victoria Burton Harris compliment out here. One of the things I really respect about Victoria, and I know she's probably not a big fan of mine right now from things I've heard, but I will say this about Victoria. Um, I knew her as a defense lawyer in Wayne County. I thought she was a damn good lawyer. And understanding the pressures of the defense lawyer, I really appreciate somebody who sees both sides of the coin. Scott Corner was a top-notch criminal defense lawyer. He was amazing. And he's become a great prosecutor. And somebody like that, somebody I look up to, Scott wants to kill me at times. You know, we're in some major cases right now. We're in some major wars. There's one particular case where Scott and I are not going to see eye to eye at all. However, at the end of the day, while I may fight like hell against him, I'm not going to badmouth him. He's trying to protect Shiawassee. I am too. I'm just doing it for one person. He's doing it for a bigger picture. And there's times we're not going to see eye to eye. But the one thing I really appreciate about Corner, I throw a tough motion out there. He gets it because he's been in my shoes. I haven't been in his shoes. I haven't been in Victoria Burton Harris's shoes. I like when prosecutors used to be defense lawyers because they see both sides of the coin. It's a spectrum, guys. We got to understand that spectrum. And that is where I'm at with the law section. So now let's talk about St. James. So St. James, where I went to um, grammar school, Fetner, New Jersey. And some of you know, I grew up in Ducktown. Used to take the bus to St. James. What a group of ass. I want to talk about a couple topics that kind of hit me today. I was talking to somebody on the phone from St. James. Somebody I don't care for. 
But they called me, and because you know them forever, you took the call. And they were talking about certain topics, and they were, like, reliving these stories. And I was sitting there. I'm kind of tired, right? I was working late last night, and I got to Lenaway early today. And you knew in the travel and the heavy docket. And this person is rambling on the phone. Oh, God. They didn't shut the up. And they were talking about all these great things about St. James. And I'm sitting there like, was I there? Because it's amazing how two people could be in the same situation and, you know, see things so differently. I mean, St. James was weird, right? Like, when we played ball outside, like, touch football and all that stuff, there were a couple guys that, like, they refused to be on somebody else's team. Well, if I'm on this game, he has to be on my team, too. You know, that really created problems down the line in life. Because in life, you can't always pick the situations you're in. But it was very clickish, man. And it was funny, because, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, and I know people will debate this, but I don't think there was a better athlete at St. James than myself or Henry the head of Hill, and Skylar Davis was right there. I... I'm sorry, and I know people dispute that, but some of the ones that were deemed like the chosen ones, and were you looking at stats? Because it was weird in those games how certain kids would have to stay with each other and they had their own little language. One of the things they talked about was Hot Lunch Tuesdays. Let me tell you what Hot Lunch Tuesdays were. So on Tuesdays at St. James, in an effort to raise money, we used to have hot lunch. And what they would do is hot dogs, hamburgers, charge a higher price for them. Everybody was excited to go to hot lunch. And right there, there was a discrepancy going on. This is where you start learning there's like this caste system at this Catholic school. Like, if your family didn't have the money for hot lunch, you had the brown bag. So there was already, like, this click, this social hierarchy, like, who could afford hot lunch and who couldn't. <clears throat> Instead of making sure every child had that hot dog, <laughs> you know, if you couldn't afford it, hope mom made you a bologna sandwich. That was kind of bitter, you know, thinking about that. So, what's Jeremy Root doing? I mean, there's a man who enjoyed some hot lunches in his day. Did I say that loud? Yeah, all right. Sorry, my bad. Anyway. I remember hot lunch at St. James, and sometimes we had the money for it, sometimes we didn't. But it was always something, like, when we didn't have the money, it's like you can't get something you want, and you want it more because of that. Like, wanting this f***ing hot dog, like, and we didn't, I had a bologna sandwich with me. We were one of the poorer ones from St. James. And, uh, I just remember thinking to myself, I'm in 8th grade, and there's these ass clicks. And the kids that were the in crowd, or whose family had money, they were always sitting in a certain part of the cafeteria. <clears throat> they always had, like, their extra hot dogs and shit like that. And I thought to myself one day, like, you motherfucker, one day, <laughs> this is not going to be an issue. But back then, it was an issue. It was almost like hot lunch was a social hierarchy. So I didn't look back at it fondly. I actually looked back at it bitterly. You know, and it was weird because the people that had money, 
at St. James. Like, you thought this kid was rich, that kid was No, they had like three mortgages and shit like that. It was all smoke and mirrors, man. They weren't really making big money. I mean, compared to a poor kid, it looked like they had all the money in the world, but they really didn't. And it was weird how they would get, like, preferential treatment at, like, church. Well, if you donate X amount of dollars, you have to sit in the front row. Was that on God's agenda? Like, did God say, hey, social economics? St. James was kind of, like, learning who's going to be it, who's not going to be it. They always say this about St. James. Because I do think Henry the Head of and I are the two most successful ones from the class. That wasn't the way the script was written, you know? I know John Pax has had some success. Good for John. Uh, I know Scott today was really proud of him. He's a great cop in Atlantic City. But the ones that were the chosen ones, they didn't really pan out the way the script was written. And from an early age, like, certain priests and certain nuns basically provided learned behavior to tell you, this person is this, and you're here. Well, who the f*** were you to make that decision? When I won my first um, big homicide trial, hey, it was a great day professionally. And I got a call from some people from St. James. And... And this one girl was drunk, and she's calling, and it was nobody I had issues with, okay? Because there's people I had issues with from St. James, but this girl didn't. And she's like, oh my god, you proved everybody wrong! What? Thank you? So, when you say I proved everybody wrong, because I convinced 12 jurors in Detroit that my client did not commit this homicide... Why, Chris Linda McDevitt didn't think I was going to be successful? Who the f*** wrote that script, bro? And, you know, the girl, when she called, I know she meant as a compliment. It's so great you won this big case. But, subconsciously, she didn't realize, like, she's taking me back to that time period and saying, you proved them wrong. Who is them? I gotta tell you, we were poor as shit. Social awkward. I never felt they were better than me. Point to the scoreboard today. I don't know, so Hot Lunch Tuesdays were really... It's a sign of things to come. You know, who can afford to go to nice restaurants? Who can't? Who could afford that designer sweater? Who can't? Who wrote that f***ing script. I don't really feel that anybody should have been deprived hot lunch. I don't really feel anybody should be denied to go to that nice restaurant. And that's why I really feel like retained lawyers should give money back to public defenders. Because I feel in some ways we're actually saying who can get hot lunch and who can't. And that's just wrong, man. We're all fighting for a cause, right? Let's all make some money while doing it. There's enough to go around, guys. There really is.
there's other stuff I could talk about. Um, the Christmas shows at St. James and the fashion shows and Father Sullivan's Christmas in July, but that will probably be better for another show just to talk about St. James. Tonight, I want you to think about something. Hot Lunch Tuesdays, man. What a f***ed up concept. There really should not be that much discrepancy between the wealthy and the poor. And if Joe Biden really gave a f*** about public defenders, he'd be pushing for something to help them get paid more. Joey, baby, you got a lot of them to vote for you during the election. And now, thanks to your gas prices, they can't afford to fill up their tanks. So, And I'm not saying that as a Republican, I'm saying as an objective viewer. I am so sick of politicians lying. I am so sick of the bull****. I wish people could just walk the walk. Yeah. Gonna talk it, walk it. That's why we need Arian Slay as a f***ing circuit court judge in Washington County. Jeremy Root. Probably can't afford me, man, but I'll give you some decent criminal lawyers if you need some help. I'll send you some referrals. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message. Enjoy playoff football, guys. Later. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.